Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Vinvoice podcast. Today, our guest is Magnus Rømoen from the Norwegian Geotechnical Institute. Welcome, Magnus. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's so nice to have you here. Let's uh, start by presenting yourself a little bit. Yeah. Uh, as I said, my name is uh, Magnus Rømoen. I'm um, working at NGI or Norwegian Geotechnical Institute. Um, my background, my education from NTNU, uh, master's in geotechnics, and then I've been working here at NGI for 14 years. Um, the first uh, six years I worked with projects uh, in all sorts of manners. And then the next eight years, I was a section leader at the Onshore Foundation section. And then for the last two months, I've been responsible for the BIM development at NGI. So I'm, my, my title is BIM strategist. Um, yeah. I see. So this is not an old uh, job. This is a new uh, position created for uh, the Norwegian uh, Geotechnical Institute. Am I right? Yeah, uh, we, we have quite a large transformation when it comes to BIM uh, from the last year, approximately. And... Uh, uh, as a part of, as a result of this transformation and uh, and development, we saw that we also need uh, a position which is bound up to to the BIM development, the further BIM development. So, so my position is part time uh, BIM development and then also part time uh, working on projects. So, um, as I heard that you had Evin uh, Svardan here last week. He's BIM uh, responsible for the BIM at the UDK project in Drammen, and I'm um, LGI working with the same project, and I'm the project leader for that uh, that project in in Drammen. Okay, interesting. So you work on the projects as well, I see. Yeah, but it's uh, anyway. Uh, it's really nice that um, institutions realize that they need people to uh, to do exactly this job to plan for how to implement bim yeah. uh, and uh, how to approach it on the project and i'm sure uh, right now maybe uh, this is a, a transition phase where you you are de- just discovering how how you you should do it how do you are you approaching but i'm sure in the future you are going to get more 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 uh, drawn into this uh, working more on the strategy and less on the project is something that like yeah that's with, with that's something that we just just have to see that will develop i think that's uh uh our development of that position is a little bit like uh, the digital development you have a direction and then you have to see see what happens on the way and we, we, you don't have like a final goal this is where we're going to be in five years but it, it's it's a it's a direction so so we'll see what happens yeah but i, I might also say that that's okay about NGI, it sounds pretty governmental, but we are not governmental. It's a it's a private research foundation, uh, so we, we're not a part of the government. We, we're not like the governmental organization like Statens and Banenor. We are a private research foundation, which also makes that we we work with a combination of uh, consultancy and research, and uh, that's the that's the, also the important for us that uh, the daily work is partly research and partly consultancy. I understand. It's really nice. You you just uh, read my mind because this was exactly what I wanted to ask you right now. Okay. But it's a big company. How many employees are you? We are approximately 300 employees. Wow. Okay. So big it is. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but we, we work in different uh, market areas. So I'm a part of the um, geotechnics and environmental market area, which is mainly working onshore projects. Uh, we also have an offshore market area. Uh, we have a um, natural hazards market area, and we have a market area called uh, geodata technology, which is mainly based on uh, field investigation, lab uh, lab work, and uh, instrumentation and monitoring. Uh, and NGI has uh, our main office is here in Oslo. I'm sitting in Oslo now. Um, where the majority of the people are sitting. Uh, we also have uh, an office in Trondheim uh, here in, in Norway. And then we have uh, daughter companies in both uh, the US and in Australia. So we have uh, two offices there as well. Oh, interesting. But they are then mainly offshore uh, related, uh, those those offices. And I think they're like somewhere between 20 and 30 persons in, in both of those uh, locations. I see. Yeah, uh, yeah that sounds good. Um, let's get back 
uh, to our topic, main topic here a little bit. And uh, please uh, tell me with your own words, what is BIM for you? I think if you talk like um, BIM is the future or the way we want to communicate our design to our clients, we want to give them complete models, uh, which uh, has all the information that we want to communicate to them. That means we, we don't only want to give them a 3D model, but we want to give them information about what kind of materials it, it, you're talking about, how you're going to execute the, the construction phase uh, and so on. Of course, for for um, for geotechnical engineers, the the beam part is a little bit divided between both making structures, but also giving 3D models of the soil conditions or the bedrock conditions uh, to the clients. So that's also an important part of of the beam is to have a 3D model of the uh, lithography of the of the subsurface and say to the clients what to expect when you're doing the the construction work. I see. Interesting. Uh, I I didn't I don't know personally too much about uh, how beam is perceived and used in geotechnics, uh, geosciences. So this is really interesting and exciting to to find out more about it. I, th I think there I think there the the subsurface part of beam has been like been lacking behind a little bit, being left behind a little bit. Um, like my impression is. BIM in general has come pretty far when it comes to to buildings. It's not. It's maybe struggling a little bit more when it comes to infrastructures, roads, and railroads. You you, you haven't maybe come that far. Uh, but anyhow, when it comes to buildings as well, uh, everything that is happens beneath uh, the soil, that's not very much handled in the projects. So, I think that's uh, something that we really have to make better in the future uh, to improve. Yes, sure. I think generally, like uh, maybe geosciences are not the most, the sexiest uh, parts of the buildings, right? So that's why people tend to not think too much about that. But let's not forget how important that part is, because everything we build up on that might just disappear if we don't do a good job there under the ground, right? I, th I think it was one of the founding fathers of the geotechnics who said uh, it's not much glory in foundation. And that's really true because... Uh, normally you don't see what we do. Expect when everything goes wrong, then you then we got to blame afterwards. So so um, the geotechnical part of a project that's something that everybody just expect to work, and then if it doesn't work, then you you have problems afterwards, and it costs a lot of money. So yeah, yeah. So only when 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 uh, when a pain appears, yeah, yeah. That that's not the best, but like here uh, the the syndrome of shiny objects. You know, it's like. Like the same with the operations and facility management part of the projects, right? We don't focus too much on that. When we we, uh, we focus always to build, to build it, right? To build it as soon as possible. So, yeah, we 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 don't treat that with uh, the same uh, interest uh, as the the self uh, the self build, building or other details or techni uh, technical systems or something. But uh, nonetheless, like I said, it's uh, it's it's likewise uh, like every other discipline. It's critical. Like you cannot do anything ignoring a discipline, right? So each discipline it's it's very important for for the entire uh, to to make good buildings that will last for many years. I, th I think so, some of the challenge we we might have, as I said, it's it's stuff that you don't see afterwards, but it's also. What is important for us when it comes to 3D and BIM models of the soil conditions is also communicating around uncertainties. I think um, Stan Ulvestad some weeks ago, we talked about uh, how to communicate in the model that um, this rebar has to have this precision or a larger precision. Also, some rebars really have to be on the correct millimeter, but while other can be moved centimeters. And that's how to communicate that. Our challenge might be that, okay, we make a 3D model based on 2D points or 1D point information. Yeah. Which means we have a drilling going down on some of the locations, and then we're doing uh, uh, interpretation between these points. And of course, if the distance between all those points are five meters, the detail level is much higher than if it's 100 meters. Exactly. What you end up when you have a large 3D model is then how to manage to communicate these differences that, okay, in this area, 
we are pretty sure about the soil conditions, but in these other areas, we are not so sure because the distance between the information points are, are higher. And that's something that we have, uh, have had some focus on uh, to, to manage to communicate that to the client that, okay, this is what we expect and this is what we know. And uh, this is what we're really guessing on. So, uh, so yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. It's it's a it's a very much a very uh, like uh, a guessing game for like in between the points and uh, like this depends also on the importance of the place, right? If like if you it's a very important uh, place closer to the building or the structure or uh, yeah, you you can make more holes, right? But this uh, this uh, uh, another thing aspect actually that I I I forget forgot to mention in the start. Is like it's also expensive. Uh, geotechnical works are very expensive, and that's why you need to employ this. Uh, this uh, you don't have the precision, like you don't know anything. You cannot just make a hole each half meter, right, to find out the the exact. So that's why you just need to use models and to model, right? Yeah, yeah, and of course, the, and, and that's the the density of the site investigation, which we're kind of talking about now. They should, they must depend on what you're actually building. If you're having a, a road directly on a flat terrain, uh, okay, maybe then you need to have a, a rather large distance between the the site investigation. But if you're if you're uh, having a, a bedrock surface which varies a lot, and you're going to have a sheet bar wall ram down to, to to the bedrock surface, then you really have to have a high, a short distance between all the, the drilling. So you're sure about, okay, how is the surface uh, variating on this distance that you're actually establishing the, the, the sheet pile wall? Yes, yes, because the risk is much higher uh, of uh, future accidents. Uh, but um, if we talk, we have this challenge, right? It's difficult to find out what we have behind. How, how is the technology how is evolving the technology, like laser scanning or all this? There must be some technology that are improving every day, right? From this aspect to get more precision from scanning. When it comes to what's happened subsurface, you have some uh, some methods uh, which is really uh, still uh, involving. Um, NGI has a like a spin-off company which is working with um, airborne electromagnetics for example uh, which gives you a large 3d model of the subsurface conditions uh, and the variation is in, uh, in resistivity in in the different soil layers and so on so what we do there is we combine these large AEM models with uh, with site investigations so that you have these uh, 1D really sure information and you tell the model, okay, here I'm really sure about uh, these conditions and then you try to interpolate them within the model based on how the residuity is shown in the, in the rest. That's really, really some nice work that we have been working with for the last, what is it, six, eight, ten years or something and which we are still now uh, developing. But like if, when you come to Norwegian soil in soil conditions, uh, like in the Oslo area, and it's a lot of uh, a lot of clay, which is the main, if I can call it challenge, but for us it's the main fun, uh, kind of. <laughs> and finding the, the the conditions on the on the clay, it's, we're we're very reliant on using traditional. Uh, site investigation, taking samples, uh, taking drillings to to really find the good good information on the on the soil, soil conditions. I understand. Did you mention before AI? Did you say AI at some point, or did you mean uh, artificial no, intelligence? No, I said uh, AEM, which is airborne electromagnetic. So I didn't mention. No, uh, then I uh, misunderstood. But uh, the, uh, regarding what about regarding AI and machine learning? What do you know? Do, do you know uh, any uh, applicability uh, for this? Uh, machine learning is something that we're doing at NGI. We're doing quite a lot. Uh, I've been doing for the last uh, last years. Um, and this is very often based on a uh, bound to, to interpretation of the soil conditions. Uh, you have uh, uh, one kind of method, what to expect based on uh, other information. So the taking what can I say? Taking a sample is very time-consuming and uh, and costs a lot of money. Uh, just doing a drilling down, uh, registering the in situ conditions, that's cheaper. So if we can, based on 
information in some locations where we have uh, these samples. Uh, if we can uh, get some information to also how to interpretate the other drillings in an area, that would be be the time and cost saving. So we have some really, really good people machine learning here at NGI. Um, Geotechnical Society in the world is organized in a large uh, association. And uh, this association had a lot of these technical groups and a technical group from for machine learning. Uh, the guy who's leading that group is sitting here at NGI in Oslo. So that's something that we really are working with and uh, and uh, and putting a lot of effort into to further development i understand uh if uh, are you using actually uh, is there uh, any uh, result like uh, from from how you are using machine learning do you get like it is employed to generate a 3d model or something of the soil or you just use it to find out about some patterns and after that you model yourself uh, we, we kind of use it for the interpretation of the soil models. What happens with, between these uh, these points that we uh, know the information of? Uh, so, so that's something that we use. But I think it's more used into the understanding of the soil and the strength parameters, deformation parameters, and so on. What what can we expect? But uh, yeah, we we're using it for or for interpretation of some of the the site investigation. So so we use it for quite a lot uh, so far. Yeah. What about like, uh, we are talking about uh, 3D modeling here. What tools, uh, what softwares uh, are you using to 3D model the soil? Yeah, if, when it comes to the soil, we're using a, a software called Leapfrog, uh, Leapfrog Works, which is actually software development software developed for um, for the mining industry. I think it's um, in, in Australia. Of course, in addition to Leapfrog Works, we use some other software to handling the, the site investigation before, but that's where we're really doing the, the 3D modeling. And that's also where we managed to then communicate a little bit about this with, uh, with the uncertainties. Uh, and that's quite a simple way that we, we solve that. I think um, in, in our webinars, Peronesh talked about this a little bit in the first one, which is actually using different shadings of colors just to communicate to the to the other other designers working on the project that okay this is an area that we have good information and this is an area that we have less information so so here we have to be a little bit more careful about uh, about what we what we communicate i see so there is no no tool like uh, for example like civil 3d it's not not useful in this case cannot be used or uh, or revit or tecla this is not something suitable for this right i think it's possible uh but we we haven't been been using it uh i think the advantage of of uh using leapfrog is that you have a software which is actually developed for this purpose uh you don't have to build a, a interpretation model yourself um historically we also all Norwegian geotechnical companies, we use a program called GeoSuite for handling the, the site investigations. And they are, a it's a Trimble program. Uh, Trimble also has, uh, has uh, of course, NovaPoint. And in NovaPoint, there has been this same interpretation function uh, for, for the layering and so on, making a 3D model of the layering. But uh, I think we found, uh, I, we haven't used uh, NovaPoint uh, for this for, for, for a while, but we found uh, the functions in Leapfrog being really brilliant for this and uh, gives us very good and, uh, and accurate models. So, and it's, the strength is also, it's very dynamic. So uh, we can we can establish the model when we start. And then during the project, we always get a lot of new information from site investigations, seismics and so on. And then we can just add in the information and build on that model all the way. So it's really flexible and dynamic and a, and a brilliant tool for, for that. I understand. What about uh, interoperability and uh, open BIM? Uh, how does uh, this software comply with uh, like, can you export in IFC or something, uh, like to to combine? Yeah, I think you can. I haven't used been using Leapfrog so much myself, but I'm. Uh, I, I guess you can. I think you can export in in what formats you you want. Uh, uh, I guess you can also follow the good old DVG uh, DVG file format. But yeah, I think you can also export in IFC if I remember right. But I'm, as I said, I haven't been using the program or software too much myself. I understand. Okay, but getting back to deliveries, uh, are there many projects right now that you are involved with or uh, have been involved in the past or 
uh, that uh, they are requiring a 3D model for for uh, geoscience? Yeah, I think uh, all or most of the large projects uh, demands 3D models. NGI as a company I want to work with complex and large projects. Uh, that's what we're uh, good at and that's what we want to work with. And um, of course, all these large uh, projects, there are demand for 3D models. Uh, you can say that uh, 3D models is something that we have produced for many, many years, uh, but historically we've used a lot of AutoCAD uh, for, for modeling this. And um, AutoCAD is not very dynamic and very friendly for changes. And um, the problem for the geotechnical engineer is that uh, we are dependent on the information from all the other designers. How did the architect want the building? How did, where did the construction engineer want the, the, the columns? And how is the, and then when everybody else has decided about the design, then we can make the design of what happens underground. Yeah. At the same time, and the geotechnical engineer is the first one who has to deliver exactly. <laughs> the model because that's where the construction work starts, which then ends up, you, you get a lot of, uh, you, you have a time challenge uh, in, in many projects because since we also then knew that, okay, it's a lot of changes in the project, we have always tried to, to stall the, as a weight with the, with the 3D modeling because we knew that, okay, we can make a complete 3D model of this sheet pile, but we know that it's going to be changed several times before we finished, and that would cost the client a lot of money and if, because it takes us a lot of time. But that's what we see now using uh, newer tools, which is um, parametric modeling uh, for, for these structural elements. Uh, so then we can early in the project establish a 3D model of the sheet pile wall. And every time the changes come in, then we can change it and we can have these changes adapted really, really quickly. So I talked about, we used Leapfrog for the, for the, for the soil layering, but we're using then uh, Rhino Grasshopper for the structural elements. So like sheet pile walls, uh, struts, uh, whalers, beams, uh, uh, ground improvement and so on. Then we are using uh, Grasshopper for, for modeling this. Okay, now I see. Yeah, grasshopper yeah. was it. It's kind of two branches in the in the BIM way we're doing. We're doing a leapfrog for one of them, and then we're doing yeah, grasshopper and rhino for the for the other part. I see. Uh, interesting. Are the same people doing both of this, or there are people that are working mostly with uh, uh, with uh, parametric design, and more people that work with leapfrog or? No, it's uh, it's a mix. I think uh, for some they are mainly doing the modeling in Leapfrog. Uh, some are mainly doing modeling in uh, Rhino Grasshopper, and then there are also some who are doing a little bit of both. But in the end, they all are geotechnical engineers or environmental engineers. We're using also Leapfrog for environmental engineering, uh, modeling contamination uh, subsurface. So so everybody has the. Um, as the geotechnical or environmental or geologist background, uh, but are working with modeling as a part of the of the design they're, they're doing. So we, we're not we're not having like pure people working with the only design, except except for one guy uh, who's who's doing that. But mainly, it's it's people also working with uh, with calculations and design in in addition to to the modeling. I understand. Uh, so so it's a mix. We we, we haven't. I think like uh, in the future. We will probably have uh, some people who are really deep into the, for example, the spaghetti design in in Grasshopper, uh, really knowing that the spaghetti. But I think that a lot of more people have to understand how to use this model because it's going to be so a very important part of the daily work. So you can't rely on having to go and ask this guy, how are you going to, if I'm going to move the sheet pile wall Two meters. How am I doing that? That's something that I think most people have to have to do. Uh, and then, of course, if you need a brand new grasshopper model, then you get uh, get the help from somebody else to in house to 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 make that uh, that spaghetti. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I said uh, I mentioned this uh, several times during this podcast. Uh, knowing how to code, being uh, graphical coding like grasshopper or uh, proper coding uh, is is going to become uh, like to know how to know AutoCAD for five or 10 years ago, like a very a skill that everybody must have. 
It's just like uh, not only for construction. This is becoming like a like very very important skill because we 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 come so often in contact with machines that it, it we can make so much easier our life if, with uh, two lines of code or something. Yeah, and I think like the newly employees we get these days, they are like 25 years old. Uh, they have uh, 45 years of working in front of them. Uh, if you decide now that, nah, I'm not going to follow the digital development, then you're really going to be left behind within some years, I think. So I think I'm, I'm not saying that everybody should really dive into the deep coding and so on, but they have to have an understanding of, understanding of what's happening and how this works. Because if you go like, take the other way, if you go 45 years back, uh, then we're in the mid seventies. Uh, what happens from the mid seventies until today for the guys who are now going into their retirement, that's really a large, large change. And People really have to to focus on. Okay, I have to try to follow the digital development and and understand what uh, what happens because this is going to affect my daily work for the next forty five years. And then I can't just say that. No, I want to rely on using Word and Excel for the next forty five years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, and and here I think it's also something that must come uh, uh, like a, a change at in the curricula of the universities. They must uh, like everything starts there, right? So they must start uh, taking this more seriously, like for, for civil engineers, let's say, right? Or for ge geotechnical engineers. This needs to become part of, the, of what the, everybody is learning. Of, of course, you can learn on your own, but uh, it's like we work in a way, way more advanced and modern way than five years ago, right? So it definitely uh, must be done something uh, from there. Yeah, I, I fully agree. And I was like, uh, when uh, when Norway closed down in uh, in March, um, we enjoy saw that okay, we can use this. This must be a period where it's a little bit uh, less to do. Uh, how can we use this period in a good way? So, what Enjoy did was that we we set up an online training course that all the employees could sign up for if they wanted to. And that was a training course using how to program in Python um, or how to program in R. So that's a lot of people then sign up for it and they can run some online internal courses or it's not internal, it's the, we're using an external uh, external delivery as a company. Platform, it, yeah. Yeah, platform. Uh, but anyhow, it's it was a chance for people to learn Python. That's really, really brilliant. And I think, uh, I agree, the, the university should really have that as a, as a part of, uh, I'm not sure how the what the what the IT um, uh, courses on uh, on NTNU, the general courses, what they what they're teaching now, but they should really be be programming. Should be a part of it, and not only programming, but also understanding how programming works. Uh, what what what's what's why is the structure like the, the, the way it is? Uh, so um, yeah. Now, if you go back a little bit to to your uh, your job right now. Do you have an agenda with things you want to do, like uh, to implement as a BIM strategist? Do you see some challenges that you you must tackle quick? Um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a lot to do. <laughs> now I should have just had the list ready for you and just hold it up. No, but I think... Um, um, this is more like a general challenge for the industry, uh, but I think it's a little bit what we talked about as well. I think the early involvement of the geotechnical engineer has to be really good. And I think uh, you showing what we can do with this uh, parametric design, doing a dynamic model, always thing, updating it, getting new information, okay, this is the consequence for this, uh, um, communicating that to the project, I think is a really really something that we have to be be, be better on. Um, and then I think it's uh, we have a challenge when it comes to the standardization and the attributes of the model. Uh, I heard you and I even talked a little bit about this earlier as well. And um, that's something that's a challenge because now we are uh, we are establishing rules in each project, but we're, we're not using it cross project. And the, of course, then the challenge is also for the other companies in the same project understanding the attributes and the 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 I in in BIM uh, that we are establishing. Uh, so 
So I know that it's been it's going on some some uh, some work in in Norway. For example, Bonnenur is, I think, is now in November. They're delivering the second report on the Kim project, which I'm hopefully this would have some guidelines when it comes to to this. But I'm. Uh, it has been I'm published. It has been published last week. The the second one as well. I'm not sure if no, it's only one the, or two. What I saw was that they published the first one, which is a general kind of general report. But when they, as I understand it, in the second report, they will say more about uh, the, the the information and the attribute flow in the in the project as well. And of course, Bonanur is is a very important uh, company when it comes to setting the demands for the for the contractors and for the designers. So 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 that's really going to be interesting to see what they what they're saying. So and and what we also see in some project is the um, life cycle and obtaining data from the ex execution phase. Uh, we're we're delivering a three D model, something to build after. Uh, but of course. Uh, as I said earlier, it's not everything that you see uh, from what we are designing. Uh, like a sheet pile wall, when it's uh, installed, you see the top centimeters of the sheet pile wall, the bottom 20, 30 meters you don't see. So how is this actually done? And today we get a lot of information through PDF files and Excel sheets and so on. And I think that streamlining these uh, information flows is something that we really have to work on. And that's something that we have to work on together with the contractors so that uh, we again can give them a correct as built uh, as, bit, as built model at the, at the end yes you, you had some very good points there uh, as you said Baninur is doing a good job a very good job actually the people working on this uh, new specifications for the new project are are very very set to do a good job and they are following uh, ISO 19650, which is uh, and uh, yeah very very important. And uh, yeah, from 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 this perspective as well, like I think it's important also for companies to see how they can implement the uh, organizational uh, information requirement. For example, how they are going to use it on, on the projects when they are involved in and such. Uh, but it's good, like 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 you said, uh, things are happening, uh, and uh, the future looks uh, really bright. And uh, this uh, period right now, the close up and everything just sped up everything. Yeah, that and that's a, that's a interesting thing in also digitalization in general has had very good effect on the corona situation because. Uh, in February this year, I, I don't think anybody should really thought that we can work the way we're now now working. So, so the the COVID situation really speed the digitalization up uh, on a lot of a uh, lot of ways. Yeah, that's true. Uh, by the way, what's your opinion about uh, digitalization generally and beam adoption in Norway? Uh, I think it's quite good. Um, I think we're um, uh, Norwegians in general are very pro when it comes to everything that can everything that is digital. Um, you can see it's just in the daily work how we do using technology. I think we're we're very far, very in front in compared to very many other countries. Um, and I think it's kind of the advantage when it comes to Norway and digital development is that we have a um, rather flat hierarchic structure in the society um, so that um, like in, in many comp countries it's like okay the, the old guy on top he decides and then everybody beneath him has to just listen to him um, in general uh, of course there are exceptions but in general the old guys in the 60s are not the ones doing the digital transformation so you really have to rely on the on the young guys and girls in the 20s and 30s, uh, who is really pushing the pushing the development, and I think that that's really an advantage in Norway. That, like here at NGI, it's no problem, or in, in any company in Norway, it's not problem to go and talk to the boss or the boss of the boss or the boss of the boss of the boss, and say that okay, we really have to to do better when it comes to when it comes to this, and um, to, to to talk about NGI, we have really pushed uh, digitalization for the last uh, couple of, of years. Uh, and I know 
working quite uh, with a large digitalization project, which is not, which the beam transformation is just a small part of it, but it's a lot when it comes to to data storage and uh, how to have optimized working processes and so on within uh, within the organization. Of course, we, like we talked about uh, machine learning a little bit. Uh, I think uh, our archive is a, is a gold mine when it comes to potential for machine learning. But of course, a lot of the archive is uh, old PDFs and so on. So we have to prepare to, okay, how can we get the data out of all these old reports and files? So that we can process them and use them in uh, in machine learning, and that's um, really a part of uh, of uh, this uh, digitalization project that we we are doing here at NCI. Yeah, that data needs to be digitized, and the the maybe a challenge with that is not only that it's a very long process and very uh, slow. You you cannot just throw on the scanner all the documents at once, right? It's not only that, but maybe exactly that is not is not giving you getting you any money because it's something you need to do you, you have it you you did it already you don't get paid maybe for that so it's a challenge for for companies to to do that but nonetheless i'm i'm quite sure like you said that data can be a, a treasure to harvest it and uh, you can definitely learn a lot from that especially for uh, for geosciences yeah and you, you can say like uh, for for us for the for the last 20 30 years we have uh, most of the files as the basics for the files are, are, are digital because they're lying on one server so it's possible to find again but if you go uh, pre 1990 1995 then everything is all reports typed on a typing machine so and uh, but of course transforming those into pdf uh, i don't think it would take very long time before we can also just read all the data out of it and get it into the database so and then again then i have uh, all ngi was established in 1953 so of course if you can have all the data from all the projects that we've done for those those years gathering the database it's a fantastic source for for machine learning yeah yeah and if you are aware about this i'm sure then then uh, it's going to happen something with this in the next years then yeah how do you see uh, i don't see too much uh, like you said, because uh, most people require uh, you only when problems happening. Uh, but how how it's your uh, relationship with the general contractor and the designer generally and the owner or the client? Uh, do you have the same, like, is the same differences, like, uh, for example, between designer and contractor? Like, there used to be, like, there are some, always there is something that doesn't go so nice along with between engineers and architects, for example, or, or uh, something, right? How, how are you, uh, I, I don't hear too much about uh, uh, from, from, from your part, from a geotechnical aspect. So NGI is a pure geoscience company. So we, we, we only work with geosciences, but if you go to like uh, uh, large consultancies, um, like Nordconsult or Sveco or Multiconsult and Rumble and so on, then the geotechnical design is uh, is one section in those those companies. So then, for the, for, for them, they deliver all uh, all uh, different designs: the structural design, geotechnical design, uh, water design, and, and everything. So, but in general, we have like the same connection to to the clients, like everybody else. Um, as I said, we, we're working on the, on the project in Dramano for Vaidek, uh, and there we are designing everything that has to do, do with geotechnics. Um, and other companies doing the entire design when it comes to structural. A third company is doing the design when it comes to the alignment of the of the tunnel and so on. So I think it's it's the same like uh, like uh, everybody else uh, when it comes to comes to this. Um, but but it it varies of course who we're working up for. So sometimes we're working for the contractor. Uh, sometimes we're working for another consultants who need uh, consultant who need uh, geotechnical expertise, and sometimes we work for like Bonanur or uh, Staten Svævesen in 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 these projects. So so it varies a little bit who, who's the who's the um, our client in in these projects. Yeah, I understand. What trends do you see in our industry that uh, that you are excited about? I think it's like 
especially maybe an infrastructure project. It's like a colleague of mine said, he explained it. It's almost like uh, Klondike, that people are really expecting gold at the, at first when they're, when they're implementing BIM in the project. It's like everything is solved. But we, we maybe see that it's not that uh, that easy to get a good flow, um, as I'm already explained a little bit uh, as well. Uh, for us, it's it's been really easy to make that uh, not really easy, but it's uh, making the three D models. It's something that we really handle well now, uh, but uh, we we still have to adapt to a workflow in these projects. And as I said, we we are normally working for a contractor or uh, other consultancy and. Uh, when it comes to then the collaboration part and what kind of software we're using in this collaboration part, then we are very, we just get told what to use uh, in in this. So we we have to adapt them in in um, in what kind of software we're using. Otherwise, I think it's really cool to see uh, what some companies have managed to do uh, running projects without drawings. I mentioned Istan Ulvestansvecko before, and I'm really impressed about what they did on uh, on the Ronsalva Bridge. Um, and that's also something that has inspired us, what they, what they did there. Within geosciences, it's also um, something that we're starting to look into is the data collection and real-time monitoring and how to link this into the model. Uh, of course, we're doing like, for a large excavation pit, we're doing a lot of mon monitoring. How can this be linked into the, into the presentation of the, as like kind of a, like a digital twin, uh, which also gives you information about what happens with the, the forces in a given strut during construction. We have the calculation. What happens? What what do we measure? How can we get everything this into a model? Which also can give you then a, a chance to optimize the design during the project because of the like the observational method. So so that's really um, cool. Yeah, and I think as I mentioned, I think the um, chances for us to do dynamic three D modeling early in the projects. That's really something that's going to gain the industry because it's. Um, I think we we will manage to to show the consequences of our work in a much better way than we managed to do to do earlier. That okay, you can decide to to lower the road five meters, but based on that, this will happen to the to the model, and the cost that you get is is uh, four times what you had before for for this small structural part and. And I think that's something that we really need to communicate even better than we have done uh, done before. Yeah, yeah, that that's like having the possibility to iterate with different solutions and give to the client more options to choose from. They can choose if they want a more robust uh, solution, a more, more costly one, right, or a cheaper one. But to know the consequences if they do that and what they lose. Yeah, that's that's really nice. What about the the AR, VR, mixed reality? Did you see any ap application for uh, for you here? It's uh, is it something that uh, can be applied for you. Yeah, when I as I said, uh, we we tried a little bit with uh, with AR. Um, to be honest, we haven't used it too much. Uh, we played around a little bit with sight vision, for example. Uh, some of the challenges that uh, our structure is underground and not visible. Um, when you see these demonstration videos for for like site vision, then you see how you can see the structural uh, sticking up from the ground and how it's going to be with the finished bridge when you're sliding from uh, sliding over and the vision. And that's not maybe so easy always to see uh, see here, but. I know that um, that even at Svalbard at at the Drummond project, they used it, for example, for controlling the um, the location of also they were marking on the ground where to put the sheet pile wall, and then also took out the site vision afterwards to just compare it to the model and see that okay, we we are actually uh, in alignment with with the design and so on. So, of course, then, and I think. When we're starting to to excavate the, the the excavation pits and so on, of course, it's a brilliant way to control that. Okay, this is this, the the sign is uh, is in alignment with uh, with what uh, now the, the the construction is in alignment with what we have designed, and the this strut is located on the right level, and uh, everything seems like yeah, seems really good. And they also also think that combining scanning and photogrammetry uh, into the to the daily work uh, or daily follow-up of the projects should be really nice. Um, 
geotechnical engineers are pretty picky when it comes to the slopes that they're excavating on uh, on large sites. We we they can't be too steep, while the contractor very often wants them almost uh, vertically. And of course, if you have a um, have a drone flying over the entire site every day, scanning the the terrain, uh, running this check against uh, the excavation plan for the for the entire site, or just measuring the inclination of the of the slopes, then you have a very very easy, quick, and cheap way to control the, um, the, how the excavation is done on site. So yeah, yeah, interesting. What about the uh, virtual reality? Uh, we haven't played as we haven't used it too much uh, so far. We 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 played around a little bit with it, and then we'll just see uh, how this uh, this ends up. I think uh, definitely is going to be be for some use, but I'm I'm not sure about how uh, now. But of course, um, yeah, we'll see how how we manage to use it in the future. I think it's the potential is definitely there, and. Um, then we just have to try it, and then if we find out that ah this this didn't work didn't work out, uh, anyhow, then we just skip it. But uh, but I think the the potential of these new tool, new tools are are really are really there. If you go uh, five years back, it's uh, we didn't know what we were going to do today. So uh, what happens with the technology development uh, and so on? And we will we'll really see in the in the coming years. Yeah, really exciting times we live in. It is. For better uh, and for worse. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we don't know uh, how, how long we are going to be locked down. So this is also another aspect. Uh, like we, we are forced to just uh, find more effective ways of working, right? And cooperating. What advice would you give to a geotechnical engineer or someone working uh, in geosciences but doesn't work with BIM? What advice would you give them uh, if they would like to work more in the future with BIM? What should they do? I think the important point is uh, interest, motivation, and passion. But uh, based on what you're saying, that's uh, something that they already have. For us, it's um, uh, we had um, if if I'd like to say the development on BIM at NGI for the last one and a half years. Also b- before that, we did still did 3D modeling, but I'm not sure if I would call that BIM because the information part was quite, quite uh, was not that good. So, what happened for us was that okay, we have our good uh, good friends in Geovita, which is a Norwegian um, consultancy company, which we are doing our webinars together with, uh, and they really inspired us on what they have been doing when it comes to using uh, both Leapfrog and also Grasshopper. And then after that, we got the understanding from both our managing director, Lars Andresen, and also the market area director, Guru Grønning, um, for using hours and costs and money on this, that we really, this was something that we really have to, to do. And I think that's, again, that's something that you also talked with Evin Svarlom about, um, getting support from upper management, that's really important, because otherwise it's really going to be a, it's difficult as it is, you don't, need the fight internally in addition so so that's really having the support and uh, and uh, backing from the leaders that's really really important then of course you need skilled and good employees uh, which sees the potential and advantage and which are curious um that has been um, no problem here it's a it's a large group of people that uh, we started with a few people and then it's it has been growing uh, over the over the time so that's uh, that's also important and what we also um, as I said we have a large digitalization project here at uh, at NGI and uh, as a part of that we have uh, hired some external developers and also project management and one of these guys uh, Ola Pozina he has been uh, been running the, the BIM development for the first year, so I kind of took over his his role. And having a combination of uh, our geotechnical background and his IT background in finding out how we're going to structure the BIM at NGI, that has been really good. So Ula has made a brilliant uh, brilliant job when it comes to this. And um, I also must say that you had Estan uh, Ulvestad as a guest uh, earlier, uh, what he and uh, Krzysztof uh, Wojslaw has presented, 
that has been really inspiring for us. And I think to watch and follow webinars, that's really a, a good tip. Uh, the amount of webinars has kind of exploded uh, the last seven, eight months when everybody's sitting at home, everybody thinks that they have to have a webinar, us included. Uh, but um, there are a lot of webinars that are not that good, but there are also some webinars that is really, really brilliant. And um, so you just have to see through those that's not that good and see those that are really brilliant. So that's also a, a very good tip to how to start this because it's, it's a lot of information and it also just uh, YouTube and forums. Uh, I think uh, some of the guys and girls here at NGI has used uh, quite a lot of time on on YouTube and uh, and forums to to understand how this works and learn even even more. Yeah, yeah. There are many resources. There start to be more and more resources out there. So yeah, it's it's good to use. And what's cool is that a lot of people are really open about what they're doing. They want to share, and that's of course the the key. And I think that's also been some of the inspiration for the webinars that we are running. Uh, okay, We could have been sitting here and hiding everything that we know and everything that we learned, um, but uh, felt that, okay, this is something that we have to share, both to, to manage to push the, the geotechnical or the geosciences forward. If we can help doing that, that's, that's brilliant. But also, we, it's in our interest to, to, to tell our clients that, okay, this is what we actually managed to do, or potential new clients, this is yes. actually what we managed to do. So, so sharing is, uh, is important, both for your own and for everybody else's uh, sake, I think. Exactly. And, uh, and is the only way that uh, we can speed up the, the improvement of, of uh, our industry. Like, uh, we, we need to open ourselves and uh, uh, work together. And uh, like you said, uh, that will, will work as a portfolio for you anyway. It just is going to be a bonus. Uh, so you said you had some webinars, uh, BIM for uh, Geosciences, right? Yeah. They, they can be found on uh, on YouTube, right? Yeah, yeah. we have had uh, three webinars so far. They are uh, available on NGI's uh, YouTube channel. And then we're planning on the fourth webinar in December or January, I think. We'll, we'll see when we, when we end up having the next one. So uh, and that's um, so far. The, um, the feedback is pretty good, so and that's uh, that's uh, nice. That's nice to share what we what we learn and what we we have learned for the last years. Yeah, very good. Keep doing that. It's important. Thank you. <laughs> How can somebody contact you if uh, would be interesting to ask you about something? Uh, I'm on uh, LinkedIn, so I guess my name will be in the in the title of the podcast, so sure. there you can find it. Or my email is. Uh, uh, mar at ngi.no so that's quite easy so um, feel free to use email or linkedin sure well magnus thank you very much for uh, introducing me to uh, to geosciences uh, it was thank you very much nice. for for having me and thank you for a nice uh, podcast uh, i've been listening to it for the last couple of weeks after you invited me and it's it's really nice so keep up the good work you too it's so nice to hear thank you very yeah. much I'll do no that. Problem.